This is Crime Scene. I'm Jordan Fenster. In this episode, I bring you the story of Belton Lee Brims. But before we begin, a warning. This story contains a brief but detailed description of a double murder. Discretion is advised. Back in 1980, a 22-year-old heroin addict named Cheryl Sohn was at a place called the Camelot Bar in Spring Valley, New York, when she approached Brims and another man, James Sheffield, about committing a robbery. As Bob Lemulik remembers it, she was after something specific. Turned out the daughter uh, knew some sleazy characters from the Camelot Bar on uh, Main Street in Spring Valley, uh, one of them being Belton Brims. And uh, she, she uh, didn't have a good relationship with her mother, and she just wanted her mother's ring. So she said to Brims and this guy Sheffield, uh, just go into my parents' house. I'll, I'll leave the, the garage open. You can go through there, take the jewelry out, and save the ring for me. Sohn said later that the ring was her grandmother's, worth about $10,000. The robbery was a way to pay off a drug debt she owed to Brims, she said. She thought Sheffield and Brims might clear $30,000 jewelry and cash. Quote, I think my goal was to solve two things at once, she said decades later. To pay off my debt and to get the ring that my grandmother promised me. As you might expect, the robbery did not go as planned. They, they were in the house when the Stones arrived, so then that's when they got uh, brutalized like that. Lemulik was, for many years, I worked at uh, Rockland County Radio Station WRKL. Uh, that's where I got my first full-time type job. Lemulik was working that day in 1980 when he first heard the news. Well, from my standpoint, I was on the, working the desk and someone had given me a call. It, it was, his name was uh, Dave Gary and he had worked at the radio station before. And he said, gee, I, you know, I'm listening to the radio and you guys don't have this story. Uh, this Sohn family was at a birthday party for my father and it was that night. And uh, when they went in the next morning to find out where they were, because they, they usually did Sunday morning bagels, they didn't show up. So the, they checked it out and they found that the Sohns were murdered inside the house. The father had been really seriously beaten to a point where the medical examiner didn't even know if he had been shot. He, he, had, been, he had such injuries. And the uh, mother was drowned in the in the uh, bathtub. Sheffield was found in a park after dark and detained by police in New Jersey the day after the murder. He was carrying a bag of bloody clothing, but because there was no warrant out for him, Sheffield was released. Police immediately began questioning Cheryl Sohn. Brims was arrested on New Year's Day, 1981. Sohn soon after. But this, oddly enough, is sort of where the story begins. Ask anyone and they'll tell you. Belton Brims is a big man. And Belton Brims was a, was a very, very large and very angry young man. That's Bennett Gershman, who defended Brims 
at his murder trial. Gershman is a professor of law at Pace University, as he was back in 1980. I was teaching in the evening. We had a, we had a, a part-time evening program at the time. So I'm teaching classes from 6 to 8 or from 8 to 10 in the evening, and my days were effectively free. How Gershman came to defend Brims at trial is an interesting side note. He only wanted two lawyers. He wanted William Kunstler or Clarence Darrow. Now, now Clarence Darrow was dead, and William Kunstler was very, very busy with a lot of other things, and so Judge Rubin had a, a real problem on his hands. Um, you know, what to do here, because he had to get this case moving, um, but Brims was being very, very difficult. And so Judge Rubin asked me if I would take the case. I said, I- I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him, Judge. And and if it seems like it can work out, I'll take the assignment. I visited Mr. Brims um, in, in his uh, jail. Um, I was tense. Um, I was totally... Uh, uncertain what would happen. I didn't know if he would attack me or, or curse me or abuse me or do something like that. Um, and, and so I was very apprehensive. After a while, it seemed like we were on the same wavelength. It seemed like we were able to talk to each other. He, you know, I guess the fact that I was a professor you know, meant something to him. I told him I was a prosecutor. I defended a lot of big cases and stuff. And, and so I guess we, we got we got together with his willingness to cooperate with me as his lawyer. Anyway, Brims is a large, intimidating man, suspected of two murders, sitting in jail in Rockland County, New York, waiting for trial. He's so large and intimidating, in fact, that he managed to escape. Now, when I say prison escape, most people will think of the great escape. Why 17? This is the 17th tunnel Danny started. Or maybe escape from Alcatraz. Got those books that may help you. Thanks. See you later, man. Goodbye. Probably Shawshank Redemption comes into your head. Tier 3 south, clear. Tier 4 north, clear path. Tier 3 north, clear path. Man missing on Tier 2 cell 245. New Back in 2015, Richard Matt and David Sweat seduced a female prison guard, used power tools to dig tunnels, and escaped through a manhole outside of the prison walls. Belton Brim's escape was nothing like that. But as far as as, uh, as Brim's, they had heard, the cards had said, in retrospect, they had heard sawing in... Uh, uh, in the Brims, like by his uh, cell, but they were so afraid of Brims that they didn't check it out. And he would put like soap over the, you know, because you don't just saw it in, in a short time. He had a, a like a hacksaw which was smuggled in uh, because there were no metal detectors in the, uh, at the at the jail at the time, and uh, so he would cover the the saw marks with soap. So so it took him a few days for him to actually do it. So he sawed the uh, his way out, and then he would walk along the tiers of the jail. They left the uh, skylight open because the jail was hot, and, they, and that would let them, uh, you know, cool it off a little bit. So when he was walking around, at one point he was accosted by one of the guards, and he just yelled, boo, Ooh. to the guard, and the guard just ran <laughs> ran out of there, never reported that. And then eventually uh, Brims got up, went, went to the skylight, jumped down about 20 feet, and, and disappeared. 
Brims was found about a month later in his hometown, Selma, Alabama. Yes, that Selma. Selma, Alabama became a shining moment in the conscience of man. Nowadays, James Kralik owns and runs several businesses in rural Pennsylvania. In fact, I have four of them. I have a artillery-rich campground, Gettysburg History Center, which includes two major attractions, and the Lincoln Train Museum, and the Gettysburg Horse Park. Which is why the sound quality isn't that great, and I apologize. Right now, I'm looking at a horse uh, <laughs> eating grass. But... For many years, Kralik was in law enforcement. I retired as sheriff of the county of Rockland uh, December 31st, 2011. I had served for 20 years as sheriff and prior to that for 30 years within the police division, including being chief of the patrol. So I had a total of 50 years of service to the county of Rockland. Uh, I'm now retired. After Brims was apprehended in Alabama, it fell to Kralik to bring him back north to stand trial in New York. But Brims, as Kralik recalled, refused to fly. Uh, After his capture in Alabama, we got word back that he was not going to fly. He would refuse to fly and he would fight us on that and cause mayhem on the flight itself. So we had to make a decision on how we were going to do it. And what we simply decided to do was to go get an RV uh, from a rental place in the county. And I brought, I believe, four officers with me. Uh, There was five of us, I believe, all together. And uh, we drove directly through to Selma, Alabama to pick him up. And uh, it was... uh, Well, it was an interesting trip back. First of all, he was big. He was scary. He was capable of committing a horrendous murder. And literally, uh, he had to be watched constantly. I'm not quite sure whether you can actually visualize the story, but he refused literally on the trip back we had at least six rest area stops where we would all uh, use the uh, restrooms and so forth and at each rest stop i would ask him belton would you like to come and relieve yourself he would say no i don't need to i don't need to i don't need to i was curious about that but we had him secured we'd never left him alone so i said all right and that was that. When we finally got back to headquarters, there's a sidebar story again. He made a jump for the bathroom. And I remember saying to him, why didn't you use the restroom? He said, basically, well, I thought maybe you guys would shoot me if I uh, went out of the van. Of course, that was not going to be the case unless he did something dangerous, but he thought it. Uh, and he was capable of holding his needs until 24, 25 hours later. Uh, It was uh, very interesting to deal with him uh, from many different viewpoints. Ultimately, 
Soane, Sheffield, and Brims were convicted. Let's just say the evidence was very strong. I thought we presented a very, very good defense. The jury was out a long time. Uh, I thought there were serious errors in the case committed by the prosecutor. But the, the, at least the evidence presented to the jury was very strong and sufficient to allow the jury to find the both defendants guilty. Soane served 26 years for the murders. She was paroled in 2006 at the age of 49. Sheffield was arrested in California in July 1982 and is currently serving a sentence of 52 years to life. He won't be eligible for parole until 2034. Brims has been spending the last three decades in jail in New Jersey, serving time for an unrelated armed robbery. He was brought back to New York in April to begin serving two 25-year sentences for the murders of Arnold and Elaine Sohn. Before we finish up, there are two postscripts of note. First, Brims' escape from the Rockland County Jail was one of the reasons the state legislature agreed to pay for a new jail. Not surprising, considering how easily it seems Brims made his escape. Right, he escaped from the Rockland County Jail. You know, at the time, because now obviously they have the new jail, at the time there were, there were 10 escapes from that jail in 14 years. The place was really porous. Second, Kralik recalled, interestingly, that Selma, Alabama was not what he expected. In the tiny community of Selma. Yeah. As a sidebar, I'm sure you're not going to go into the story, but this was Selma, Alabama. And Selma, of course, was the, uh, the police department with the bridge and the Martin King's Walk and stuff like that. The world had changed dramatically. The desk officer was a black officer. The state trooper who came to escort us was black. There were black officers. Things had changed rather dramatically in Selma, Alabama. Thanks to James Kralik, Bennett Gershman, and Bob Lemulik for helping out on this episode. And thanks to Robert Brum for pointing me in this direction. This is Crime Scene. I'm Jordan Fenster. (laughs) 